Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. And joining us now uh, from the Steelers Radio Network and also the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, my good friend Jerry Dulac. Great to have you with us, sir. Well, Steve, a couple things. First of all, no call today is better than any Steve Jones call. Second of all, um, I haven't been in Amherst since way back when, when my friend John Calipari was there, and I went up to do a piece on him and spent a couple days in Amherst. But um, beyond all that, uh, always good to be with you, as you know, my friend. Always great to have you. Yes, I haven't been here since 1991. Uh, that was well. When was Calipari there? Back in the eighties, yeah, right? Probably. Yeah, eighties, early nineties. So Cal was yeah. the coach here, and uh, Penn State was in its last year in the Atlantic Ten. It's the last yeah, time I've been up yeah. here. How about that? Well, sixteen sixteen yesterday with Detroit. Let's start with this. There were some players, including Najee Harris, who, by the way, have probably never been involved in a game where you know there wasn't a an overtime that gave you a winner. They didn't know you could end in a tie, right? Uh, right. You know the, what we call the Donovan McNabb syndrome. Does that play right. a role in the attitude about how some guys may have played this thing? Um, you know that's a good question. First of all, there's probably very few guys who who realize that. I mean, they would be rookies, and for the most yeah. part, with the exception of Najee Harris, they probably wouldn't have much of a role in the outcome, but knowing Najee Harris and the way he plays, um, I, I don't think um, that would be uh, that would be an issue at, at all uh, you know, with him. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a no, fair answer. Very fair. Um, what, uh, T.J. Watt, uh, he had to sit out a, a chunk of it after he made that play. Any idea on, on what his availability is moving forward? Well, um, let me also say to uh, Steve, as an alum, I am more dismayed what I'm seeing with these close losses and fourth quarter uh, leads that aren't protected than I am by anything I saw yesterday, that's for sure. Um, And I'm, of course, referring to what you see up there. Um, Yeah. The um, Now, now I was told, TJ, you know, he doesn't need surgery. It's nothing like that. It's nothing serious. Yeah. don't know for certain whether it's going to keep him out this week. I think it might, but the, but the injury at least is nothing serious that's going to keep him out for an extended period of time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is the good news. Mike Tomlin's news conference will be tomorrow. You know, he uh, sometimes uh, updates us with injuries, uh, even though sometimes he says he's going to update us. <laughs> he really doesn't, but we'll see. But that's that's what I know right now that at least it's not serious enough that he needs surgery. So as you watched it yesterday, what were a couple of notes that you made on on why it played out the way it did? Well, probably the first thing that jumped out, uh, Steve, was, you know, for for the second time in the last three games, I'm losing track with the Seattle game, the, the tackling is just... It's just really poor, and they're just gouged repeatedly with the run. You know, go back to Seattle and for 126 yards in the second half, and they, you know, in that game, blown 14-point lead, went to overtime. Yesterday, uh, the Detroit Lions have never run for more than 134 yards in a game this year, 
uh, and had only rushed for over 200 yards twice in like the last eight years, had 199 yards rushing with 12 minutes to go in the third quarter. Um, So that to me is what jumps out for any number of reasons, whether, uh, you know, I don't buy the excuses that, uh, you know, that the Lions came out, uh, you know, using an extra tight end or six offensive linemen. Well, that's fine. Then adjust because they continue to do it. Jared Goff was playing with some bad ribs. Uh, He did throw it 24 times. Uh, but, you know, obviously the fact that they were able to run meant that they were going to continue to try and run. And the Steelers, you know, yeah, they finally in the last half of the fourth quarter, Steve, I think the last, I think the last 11 carries netted eight yards. But, right. you know, by then it's a little too light. You know, the, the, the uh, what's the expression? The haze out of the barn or the horses out of the barn, whatever the right. case may be. And, and so uh, the fact that, that they waited that long to be able to stop it did them no good. That was, that was the first thing. Um, the second thing that, I, uh, that really jumped out at me, and it, hey, look, high snaps, two fumbles lost in overtime. You know, poor Pat Frymuth, uh, uh drops a pass and eight plays later fumbles when they could have tried the field goal there. Um, and, you know, you know better than I, uh, ball security is not an issue with Pat Fryermuth. So a lot of strange things uh, happen. But one of the other things kind of subtly I noticed is that, um, you know, the receivers just weren't getting open. They weren't gaining any separation. So many of Mason Rudolph's throws were contested or tried to be forced into tight windows. And that's I'm not sitting here defending the guy. He was okay. I'm not going to sit here and say he was terrible. I'm not going to sit here and say he was great. You know, you've right. got to consider the circumstances, too, under which he was right. playing. Um, but what that tells me, you know, the Lions had nine passes defense. That's the most against the uh, Steelers this year. And you, you know, you're talking about a secondary that ranked last in the week in yards allowed per attempt. So it's not like they're exactly blanketing people and smothering people throughout the year. And yet they were, they were covering those Steeler receivers like they were wearing their jerseys. And so when you see nine passes defense, that tells me one of two things. Mason Rudolph either wasn't giving them enough time to get open, and I don't think that was the case, but I'll give that as a possibility, or they just weren't gaining any separation and getting open. And, and to me, that's what stood out, and that's what hurt their passing game. You know, he threw 50 times. He completed 30. Okay, 60% is an abysmal. But, you know, the longest completion, other until that, uh, other than that last uh, play, Deontay Johnson, well, not the last one, but the one in overtime, the 36-yarder where he fumbled, um, their longest completion was 17 yards. And, okay, I know they're playing without Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster's done for the season. But that, that's what stood out to me, their failure to take advantage of a secondary that, uh, you know, statistically is one of the worst in the league in terms of giving up longer passes or lots of yards and they just—they did nothing uh, with it, and their receivers, like I said, just—they just weren't getting open. You know, it, I always feel like when I'm watching games that lose the team that loses, they make—they'll make losing plays. I right, felt Detroit. Right. I felt Detroit made a long list of losing plays yesterday and didn't lose. <laughs> yeah, and that's what—that's what was amazing, Steve. I agree with you. Right down to missing them badly, missing the field goal in overtime. You know, missing the extra point. Earlier, You know, Jared Goff passed for 61 yards through four quarters of regulation. Um, 
And that's, uh, I think that's the lowest the Steelers had allowed since, like, yeah, since Christmas Day 2017. So, you know, in situations like that, you would expect um, a team to be able to win. But, you know, when you're gouged in a running game like that, um, and, you know, they, the, the Lions are trying to hand it to the Steelers. Hey, that's why they're 0-8. And the Steelers are just trying to hand it back to them again with everything. You know, they had a touchdown, uh, you know, Najee Harris touchdown nullified by a penalty. They had the four high snaps. Um, you know, the two fumbles lost in overtime. Uh, you know, it was, they, they didn't deserve to win, that's for sure. They're lucky. They're lucky they got a tie out of it. What's odd is I feel like now that tie is going to play a big role in how the final standings turn out because that half game, I always feel like every time I see one of these, that I just feel like in the end it plays a gigantic role in what we see. Yeah, I agree with you, and um, it all, it always seems to. And, you know, you get you get half a win and half a loss. Um, and But, you know, when you start looking at the rest of the conference and tiebreakers, that half a loss – uh, rarely does it seem that the half a victory helps. It's more like the half a loss yes. hurts you more than the half yes. a victory helps you. Without question. Yeah, ex- absolutely. Absolutely. So they got the Chargers coming in on Sunday night. And the Chargers started off great. Now, I, Jerry, this is an observation I made, and you can you can uh, then run with it from there as to whether you agree with it or not. I feel like we're in an era right now where we have a lot of – there are really good teams, but there are no great teams. Is that fair? You know, let me I, – I, I referenced this today, and I've always remembered this, Steve. Um, Sam Weiss, the old Bengals coach, told me this years ago. He said, typically in the National Football League, there's four really good teams and four really bad teams, and the other 24 are trying to figure out if they want to be 10-6 and six or 6-10. Six and 10. Now, I yes. know it's 17 games now, but, tip, you know, right. typically yeah. he's right. Now, this year – not so much. And what's happening is the past two weeks have changed the perception of what people think about who's good and who isn't good. Because, you know, we saw we saw the Ravens get, you know, get manhandled by the Dolphins, if you will, Thursday night. We saw the Steelers lose to the Lions. You see the Browns, who one week after coming back with an impressive win, um, you know, get, allow 45 points to New England. You see Arizona uh, getting beat again. Uh, so, and I know Kyler Murray's not playing, but still, and the week before, all the upsets. Um, it, it, the last two weeks have changed the entire perception of the league as to who's good and and who isn't good. And uh, you know, the old on any given Sunday in the NFL. While that's certainly been applicable and believable the last two weeks from what we've seen. So, um, yeah, um, to your point, I tend to agree with you. I still think. And I've thought this for the last couple of weeks. I think Tennessee is the best team in the AFC and maybe the NFL. And when you look at the lineup of people that they've beaten, you know, uh, the Chiefs, uh, uh, the Bills, uh, Kansas City. I, I said Kansas City. Uh, now New Orleans. And I'm missing somebody in between there. Um, they, they're, they've won, I think, what, five games in a row now, and uh, if not six. And they've all been winning teams that they've beaten. And so I think you can make the argument that they're the best team in the NFL. Okay, Arizona had the record, and so they've, they've lost two now because of uh, Kyler Murray not being there. Uh, you know, the Rams have been exposed a couple times. I think they're a little yeah. overrated, but I think they're good. Uh, we've seen Tampa Bay, you know, lose in New Orleans and then lose in Washington. 
Um, so, you know, is there a dominant team? No. But I think right now, right now, you can make the case that Tennessee is the best team in the NFL. Uh, so what does it take uh, under the rules for Ben Roethlisberger to be cleared in play? Is it the same? Uh, is he in the same category Aaron Rodgers? No, I mean, he's not in the same category as Aaron Rodgers, but, I mean, what is, what's the protocol to get him back? Well, he gets tested tomorrow, Steve. And okay. um, if he gets two because he's fully vaccinated, because and he has told me that he is, which he has said that in the past anyhow. Um, yep. He, you know, two negative tests and he can return. And he is hopeful he can return this week and he will participate in their meetings virtually this week with the hopes that he will get two negative tests in a row and then can return. If he does not get two negative tests in a row, then he is not eligible to return till next Tuesday. So, which would be obviously after the Chargers game and before the game uh, against the Bengals. So he did test positive. He is vaccinated. That's where it stands. And, uh, you know, obviously he's hopeful that, uh, you know, those back-to-back negative tests come about. Um, He's feeling better. Apparently on Saturday he woke up. He wasn't feeling great Friday, but woke up Saturday, had some of the symptoms, went to the facility for the walkthrough practice. But when he got there, Took uh, took a COVID test and stayed away from people, and uh, it uh, came back later in the day uh, positive. So that's kind of how that all transpired. But uh, again, got his fingers crossed that he gets those back-to-back tests. And if he does, he could come back this week. Uh, I think in five days. So if he tested Saturday, he could conceivably, I believe, be at Thursday's practice, but Friday for sure. Okay. Jerry, always a pleasure, my friend. Appreciate it very, very much. Well, Steve, enjoy Amherst. And uh, I'm hoping one of these last two games, <laughs> maybe Michigan State or something, we could see uh, something positive because it's uh, getting yeah. frustrating uh, watching these other games slip away. Yeah, man, I know. Uh, the other part, too, is um, uh, I've, I've been able to cover over the years the U.S. Open, so I'm in the USGA pool. Uh, right. I'm planning on going up to the country club when I come up here. I'm, I'm you know, there, at least put in for it, so then you and I can maybe do some work there. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the first U.S. Open I covered out of town beyond going to Oakmont, but back when, when I first started traveling, covering the tour, it was at the country club in Brookline when Curtis Strange was. That was the first one I did uh, when I began in the business covering golf and writing golf and, and traveling. That is really cool. Well, I just yeah. just thought I'd throw that nugget out there. There you go. Well, you know, I always t- tell the golf guys uh, during the week when I need my little mental respite from the Steelers, I call some of the golf people and chat golf with them <laughs> just to get a little mental <laughs> therapy. <laughs> and you know what? I think that works wonders. <laughs> yeah. I hear, I Steve, I hear tell that there's a nice club called Bel Air Country Club in Los Angeles Sunday that might have my name on the on the list oh, <laughs> Sunday morning before oh, that Chargers game. Oh, now that that's a is... rumor. That's a rumor that I hear. But feel free to check it out if you'd like. I will uh, check out that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's tempting. Oh, thank you so much. Now you've dangled that. Oh, wow. Okay. Thanks, Jerry. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to town Thursday to pick up my daughter. I'll think of you as I'm breezing through. Thank you, sir. It's always, it's always great to have you, my friend. All right, man. Always good talking with you, Steve.